the Ten Commandments. Let's go through the summary again. The first four is our relationship towards God. God says, you shall not, not have any other gods before me. There is nothing else out there. I am the one who redeemed you. I am the one who loves you. You shall not make yourself any kind of graven image. Man has it in himself that he wants to create and worship something. But Jesus said, God is a spirit. We worship him in spirit. We, we don't know what a spirit looks like. We can see, as we said last week, we can see the effects of the wind, but we don't know what the wind itself looks like. So there's no way we can worship anything else. We are supposed to uh, focus our devotion towards God, not to anything else that we think represents our God. We are not to take the name of the Lord God in vain. And that means more than just saying God and then thinking his last name is something else or how the world today, every other word they would say Jesus and they would think his last name is Christ, they would proclaim these things. Of course, these are blasphemous things, but it goes beyond that. It's a matter of the heart here. You say you're a Christian. Are you acting like it? Not just here, not just at home, but outside. If you say you're a Christian, but you act contrary, that is not taking the name of the Lord God in vain, right? You're saying you're representative or you're not representing properly. Remember the Sabbath day. God had instituted a day of rest. He says remember, which means that we are apt to forget to take a break. Take a break. Set it aside. Remember all the goodness that God has given to us and the blessings. What do we do with these things? We just say, okay, Lord, thanks again. I'm going to kick back. No, we dwell upon these things, of course. And as Christians, don't we want to share our faith? Don't we want to share all the goodness that God has done? Have you ever met someone or contacted someone who knew you before you were Christian and now they see you now and they can see the difference? You want to share the blessings. We want to worship and praise God. Set a day aside. doesn't necessarily have to be a Saturday, a Sunday, or whatever dates, any day. We are not bound to a religious system. It is, we have a relationship with our God. It's at any time, at any day. And then the last six is our relationship with each other, with man. And it says, honor your father and your mother. Now, those of us who've gone through adolescence, I'm sure have a hard, had a hard time with this. I know I had a hard time with that. I had a difficulty with my parents, but I didn't know what I was going through. I didn't know I was, I didn't know I was going through the phys physiological changes and, and everything else, and we were always at odds. <coughs> but in all still that I desired to do, I still desire to honor my parents. Do not commit adultery. We will get to that tonight. But that would imply two things here. Committing adultery, that means that the marriage is a sanctified institution that God had created between a man and a woman. And it's very important that we recognize that. Marriage, Bible says it's between a man and a woman. And it also says that we should refrain from anything else outside of our marriage. It has a double fold there. Do not steal. The rights of private property are to be respected here. <clears throat> Do not bear false witness. Not only is lying prohibited, but false and unfounded evidence in general, overall. And the last one is do not covet. 
Do not covet. It's interesting here. Let's start off with that one first. Because if we start off with that one first, it will lay the foundation of... Um, thanks. Of the commandments between 5 and 9. What is covetousness? It is basically, it's an inward sin. It can't be seen. And this is something that God calls us to be in check about. Amen? Everything else we can see the result of. The exterior, the physical aspect of things. Yet this one here keeps us in check. I don't know your heart, but I can see your actions. Vice versa. You can't judge my heart. Only God can do that. But you can judge my actions. You can judge my outward uh, appearances and actions and so on. But you don't know what's going on in here. And that is the one sin that God says do not do. But we can do it and we can break it without any other person knowing about it. And it is this covetousness that is like sin. It puffs up eventually that would lead to the action of sinning. And the last four commandments I've said are broken by coveting the lust and desire from within. Coveting could lead to stealing, bearing false witness, adultery, and murder. Now as we get to covet, oh, we'll briefly cover coveting one more time. What leads us to covetousness? The desire to have something that we cannot have. It gives a strong desire that I want that product. TV ads play that mind game with us. For the longest time, I'm going to embarrass my son here, when Nintendo came out with its new gaming system, the Wii, that's all he wanted. It's all his mind was set on. I need that Wii. I need it. I need it. I want it. I want it. <laughs> Finally, he had it. <laughs> Are we not the same way, too? You know, I watch TV, I see the Lakers, I want them to win, but they keep blowing it. So I covet for them <laughs> and want them to win. For what? I'm not paying them. I shouldn't get upset when they lose and blow it. <laughs> One thing, too, concerning the Ten Commandments. Nine of the Ten Commandments are repeated in the New Testament the, with added stipulations that are even higher than those here in, we see in Exodus and the Old Testament. The one thing, though, is that our Lord, we, if you want to find out exactly what these things mean, our Lord, he gave dissertation, so did Paul, about how everything is not so much exterior. It leads to the inner part first. Where does sin start? And if you can recall how in the Garden of Eden, the serpent appeared to Eve and first God had said, he told Adam, the man, he says, um, you can have anything of this garden that you want except for that one tree there, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't even, don't even eat it. You can't eat it. Then he created Eve. And then Eve came along. He was, she was his helper there in the garden, his equal. And the serpent came to her. And he says, did God really say, he started questioning God's authority, God's word here, did God really say you can't have anything here, including this tree? And he, she says, well, God says not only we can't uh, have it, we can't, we can't touch it, don't even touch it. And the speculation is maybe Adam just told her, you know what, God says we can have everything but that tree, you know what, don't even look at it, don't touch it, stay away from it. So he enticed her. He says, you know what, God... I don't, he basically came out and said, God's a liar. Surely you won't die if you eat it or even touch it. He just doesn't want you to be like him. So then she looked at the fruit of the tree. 
and she saw that it was good. She, she was desiring it. She was lusting after it, which caused to the sin, to the fall of man here. And if we see any of these commandments here, if we break any of them, it's because of our own selves. It is um, one of those things, it's, it's, a, it's like a, a measuring stick, a measuring tool for us to see, to keep ourselves in check. And also with these commandments though, we cannot fulfill all of them because Paul tells us if we broke one, we broke them all, right? So you can consider these also as a mirror. Look at these. Can you fulfill all these? If you broke one, you broke them all. Can you fulfill all those? You, well, no, I can't. That's right, you cannot. But there is one who can, the one who did. And it is through him that you rely upon that you can get to heaven. People say, I can, be, I can get to heaven. I believe I'm a good person. Really? Well, can, can you do this and this and this? Go through the ten. Have you ever, um, did you, have you really honored your parents? Well, yeah, and so on. Well, how about murder? Well, no, I never laid a hand on anybody. But have you ever hated anybody? Have you ever, were, were, were you ever angry at one person? So much so that you start having bad thoughts. Well, yeah, might have. Well, then you've already committed murder. Have you ever talked trash about anybody? Unwarranted. Have you ever said anything bad, uh, assassinated their character? You bore false witness. Have you ever looked at a person and thought, whoa, fine, yeah. Well, then you just committed adultery or however in your heart. Even though you didn't do these things outwardly, they were still broken. And of course, you ask the other question too. If you think you're a good person, you can get to heaven, then Jesus died for nothing? Jesus died for our sins. Let's look now at verse 14. Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. It says, You shall not commit adultery. As I've said before, marriage is a sanctification here. In Genesis chapter 2, God had presented Eve to Adam and he basically says, here is your helper, here is your equal. He created her from his side, what is known as the rib here. Whether it's a rib or not, we don't know, but it was from his side. He didn't create Eve from a bone of his head that she would rule over him or from his toe that he would rule over her. It was his partner, his equal. And then he presented her to him. He says, behold this woman here. And then it tells us that in Genesis chapter 2, tells us in Genesis chapter 2 that the two became one. And one of the analogies I use with the youth is things I've seen in a, in a wedding before, in a wedding ceremony, is that you have two candles here and the one candle here by, that's not lit, but the two ones represent individuals. And as they, after they say their vows, the bride and the groom, they get their own candle and they come together with the flames and they light the single one together and they blow out the uh, individual flames. So where they're no longer two individual people, but they become one. One in spirituality. And concerning marriage, too, well, one of the benefits is having a sexual relation with your partner. And something happens mystically, we must say spiritually, that the two people become entwined as one. 
the emotions, the physicalness, and how things occur, the tenderness, the trust, if you will, of how each responds to the, to the other. But society today, or throughout the ages actually, would have us think that sex is a bad thing. We are inundated, if you will, with um, TV shows, with movies, and songs, and everything that we see, and everything. I've noticed for my own self that back in approximately 1978 is when I really saw a lot of this stuff occur on TV. And believe it or not, that is about the same time where Benny Hill, you remember Benny Hill, the old English comedian, how he came out and all these women in underwear running around and this TV show he's come out late at night and we're like, wow, look at this. I can't believe this. You know, we thought that was pornography or pornographic. But since that time, if you really consider TV, how it kept lowering and lowering its standards, we are always bombarded with sexual connotations here. And it doesn't just come from the media. It also, well, before I go there, I'm going to show you something here, but I want to tell you something here first. If you recall in the early, early 80s, there was an Academy Award winning movie called Terms of Endearment. Deborah Winger, jo- Deborah Winger John Lithgow, um, and a couple other people, uh, Shirley MacLaine, Jack, Nick, um, yes, <laughs> the Joker. And there was a part in there to where John Lithgow's character was confessing to Deborah Winger. They had an adulterous affair. And he was so happy because he was not being fulfilled and neither was she. And he says, I praise God or the devil, whoever it is that we've had this opportunity together. He knows that it was wrong, but he didn't care where this blessing came from. And we also have songs in the secular realm too. In the 70s, there was a singer called Billy Paul. He sang Me and Mrs. Jones. The Manhattans came out later in the 70s and they sang a song called Kiss and Say Goodbye. These were all about adulterous songs. Approximately six years ago, uh, from Uncle Cracker, there's a song called Follow Me. Our youth has all these songs. Country music, rap music, R&B, it doesn't matter. We're all exposed to these things here. But it just doesn't come from the secular world. What can you say about a quote-unquote Christian church that sends out flyers to try to entice people to come to their services. And one of them here, it says, My Dirty Little Secrets. And it says, New Message Series, My Dirty Little Secrets. And it says, uh, it's just the, what would you want to call it? The, the connotation that they want you to just to, just to come to church, to their church here. They want you, they want you to be captured by these uh, pictures here. Go to 1 Corinthians in, in your Old Testament there. Did I say old? I said new. I don't know what you heard. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 7. God instituted marriage. To break from this would not be trusting God. God and spouse for all the needs in the relationship. It's a bond. It's a promise. It's an oath that one would take up in the altar in front of everybody to see in front of witnesses and say, I do take you for life. 
for better, worse, richer, poorer, sickness and health, and so on. You're basically saying, I will never leave you. Yet, what would adultery be? It's like, you know what, um, yeah, that was nice, but I think I need something else along the side there. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 2 through 5. And it says, Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. What does that mean? When you become husband and wife, you give to each other not just spiritually and emotionally, but also physically. There's this physical hunger or attachment that comes along with marriage, one of the benefits. And one of the benefits is just because you have a headache or not tonight, I'm mad at you. These things, they, you can't hold hostage to your spouse. But at the same time, the other spouse, can't, spouse cannot be demanding. They have to be understanding, of course, and then put the other person in the mood, amen? Otherwise, you know, like I've always said, you know, guys are like light switches. I'm ready. And women are like convectional ovens. I've got to slow up and get heated a little bit. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 says, Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Marriage is between one man, uh, one woman, and the sex between them. The relationship is just between them two. It is a private, personal thing that is to be just enjoyed between them two. In marriage, there are general, special duties. The general duty of the husband is to rule. In the respect, not, not to say, I am king of this castle, but rather he comes down with the final decisions. He reports to God. The woman is supposed to, the wife, submits to him in the respect that, you know, um, if, if the husband comes up with some idea, she's his helper, remember, and she says, you know, I don't think that's such a good idea. Where, you know, they can come upon to, uh, a a conversation, try to make a decision here, a choice, they could converse. He could ultimately have the, uh, the last, the final say, if you will. And if it's a bad decision, he has to answer to God. So ladies, yeah, I'm sure that you might have come through this before. Men, in case you didn't remember, did forget, you are accountable to God. Special duties belonging to marriage are also love and fidelity. The interesting thing is, too, is that when people, why would people wander off? What would send someone to go elsewhere, looking elsewhere? What would be that? Go to 1 John chapter 2. It's going towards the end of the Bible. 1 John chapter 2. A lot of these things are emotional. You can come up with any kind of excuse in the world and it still would not, God would not, there's, you can trust me, God would not say, oh yeah, I understand. You know, by all means, go ahead. First John chapter 2, verse 16. 
It says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Okay, what does that mean? The lust, the pride of life, it's the end result here. You're thinking about something else. You keep thinking about it. Eventually, you start acting upon it. Once you act upon it, you do it. You, full, you think you're fulfilling yourself. You th- it's all about taking care of yourself. It's all about me, I, me, mine. What does the Bible teach? When Jesus was approached by a scribe, he was asked, Lord, what is the greatest commandment? He says, you shall love the Lord your God with everything that you are. And the second commandment is you're supposed to love your neighbor as well as yourself. Take care of each other. You're supposed to take care of other people before your own needs. And when you take care of yourself, when you worry more about yourself, that is sin. Sin. The letter in the middle of the word pride is I. It's just like all about me, I. And that is one of the things that was wrong with Lucifer, the fallen angel. In Isaiah chapter 28, Chapter, chapter 14, Ezekiel 28. If you want to read about the background concerning Lucifer, it was all about himself. He says, I will be like the Most High. I will have his seat. I'm going to rule. I, I, I. I want to be God. I want to knock him off his throne. I want his job. And you see how he wanted just to please himself. And that is what sin is all about, is puffing the one of oneself here. And this is where what John here is talking about there in verse 16. What is lust? Lust is desiring something only for yourself. Forget everyone else. It's all about me. This is all I want to take care of. Now, failings for a marriage, what is it? Supposedly needs are not met, both sexual, physical, and emotional aspects. A spouse could be ignored totally or abused by the other spouse. Selfishness, marriage arranged out of convenience. How many marriages have occurred because it started off in the physical, sexual realm rather than get to know each other biblically first? Without all that, sex outside the marriage is wrong. And I tell you, I, I was guilty of that too at one point. Well, before I met my wife. <laughs> You know, lack of commitment also concerning selfishness. Lack of commitment. Um, People think that love is conditional. I love you if, I love you when. I don't love you because of this. And so people start coming coming apart because of irreconcilable differences. Did I say that right? Well, we all have arguments with each other. The, end, the, the real thing is, how are we going to carry it on? You know, okay, I'm sorry, my bad, or I'm sorry you're still wrong. But you still get over these things. Um, again, the relationship based upon physicality and devoid of emotion. Abuse, going back to that. Finding the correct responses in someone else. If a spouse is so abusive to someone, they push them out, Someone is at work, the other spouse goes to work, and they start talking to someone else. They can relate. They start elevating them. They start treating them more like a human versus being stomped on at home or ignored at home. There's whatever reasons there are concerning the failings for a marriage. 
these things usually would occur if God was not in the center of the relationship here. There could be some mental aspects here where in Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said of those of old, You shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The word looks, it, it means to uh, continuous concentration or thought where you can break your neck looking at, whoa, did I, thought, did I see what I thought I saw? I was like, oh yeah. And then you go back for a second look and a third look. And that's when a lot of um, imagination starts taking place. Bodily as when sin is, con- is conceived and brought forth into the act. Go to Second Samuel, back in the Old Testament. I know that's in the Old Testament. Second Samuel chapter 11. <laughs> I must confess, it's one of those things that I didn't realize I didn't until my wife pointed out. She said I overstudied, and it's true. I have so many notes, and I'm trying to pick the right ones here, the ones that would make sense. Second Samuel chapter 11, verses 2 through 4, it says, Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a, a woman bathing, And the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him, and he lay with her. For she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. And of course, because nature takes over, it says, And the woman conceived... So she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Oops. He had his own wives, concubine, but he looked across the way and he saw someone else's wife, someone else's spouse. He sent for her. She willfully came also. Her husband was out in the battlefield fighting a war for, her, for the king. And what happened? They had a child together. And David tried to erase his mistake by calling Uriah the Hittite, her husband, back from the field and say, hey, you know, it's been a while since you've seen your wife. Why don't you go home? And he would not because he, his, his companions were out in the field still fighting the war. End result was that David had the man killed. He tried to hide his sin. But Samuel came along and told him about his sin and told him, I'm sorry, was it Nathan? (laughs) It was Nathan. And Nathan came along and told him and exposed him of of his sin. And the end result was that God had allowed the child to die. David, of course, was distraught. What else concerns uh, adultery we can also see as in the spiritual aspect here where God had said I am giving you Israel or Judah I'm divorcing you even though you are my people I am divorcing you well what caused divorce in this respect here it was a spiritual aspect that they started worshiping other gods they started taking on the aspects of these pagan nations they started 
uh, offering their children to Molech. They started uh, cutting themselves up like these other pagans. They were worshiping idols. They were out in the field having orgies and doing all kinds of things contrary to what God had commanded them. They were disobedient to God. That is also known as spiritual adultery here. And in Hosea chapter 7, verses 1 through 4, it says, When I have healed Israel, then the iniquity of Ephraim was uncovered, and the wickedness of Samaria. For they have committed fraud. A thief comes in, a band of robbers takes the spoil outside. They do not consider in their hearts that I remember all their wickedness. Now their own deeds have surrounded them. They are before my face. They make a king glad with their wickedness, and princes with their lies. They are all adulterers. Like an oven heated by a baker, he ceases stirring the fire after kneading the dough until it is leavened. You can see the lust of these people is just like he equates it to an oven that just turned with the heat all the way up. And these people were just obeying and disobeying God. And I'm sorry, they were just totally disobeying God and just saying, yeah, 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 right. We remember what you did for our fathers in Egypt. Or maybe they didn't remember. However, they were still obstinate and disobedient to him. This is why God hates divorce. Uh, this is one of the um, not. This is one of the causes here, also or the penalty, if you will, for adultery, an adulterous relationship. Here, go to fir- go back to First Corinthians. I'm sorry, First Corinthians chapter six. That is in the New Testament. Now, what happens if you say you're a Christian? Or even when you're not a Christian, you say that you get together with someone else who is not your spouse. Verse 15, it says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to harlot in one body is in one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We were redeemed at the cross, and we say we are Christians. And yet we have, I've heard, we have brothers and sisters in Christ that have fallen. And so it's, how, it's just like, how can you join? You say you have the Holy Spirit in you, you're a Christian, yet you go seeking other Flesh and just like saying, okay, look, Lord, here we go. We're going over here now. And that's not right. It's amazing to me how people, when they pray, they say, Lord, you know, walk with me. No, it's, we should have it the other way around. Lord, allow me to walk with you. Because if, I, if you walk with me, I'm going to walk through Chino Hills along those old um, cow farms. And I know that's not where you want me to go. Sin begins long before it is acted out. In James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, it says, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. What does that mean? Okay, when we start, start entertaining thoughts about other things concerning sinning, 
God has a penalty for that. He says there's an absolute here. Do not cross that line because if you do, then this. And James says, do not be deceived. You know, you will be judged. You will have a penalty to pay concerning these bad things that you're doing here. And if you do not repent, then you will have death. Now, what is death? We have the two things of death here. The first one is the separation of the body from the soul, correct? But the other one also is the separation from God for eternity. Notice the progression of temptation there. Lust begins first in our minds. Sin is the action based upon our thoughts, and death is the result there, continuously. How many people have opted or have opted for sexual promiscuity and ended up with sexually transmitted diseases here. Sin will always take you farther than you meant to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10. It says, The man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress, shall surely be put to death. In the old days, they didn't mess around. And the analogy that I used last week was like a cancer. Cancer affects your body. It's poison in you. And what happens? It starts uh, splitting itself into cells and it goes throughout your body, eventually killing you and dying. (coughs) What the doctors try to do today is that they try to isolate it. Try to isolate the cancer. Try to pinpoint and kill these things so that it does not spread. It's... You've heard the term cancer in the locker room. You've had athletes who cause dissension in the locker room. They have other people uh, causing dissension also. So what happens? They get this one athlete, they'll kick him out. In the same respect, this is what God says. Whoever the cancer is in the society, I want you to take them out, even if that meant to kill them. Same thing it says in Roman and I'm sorry in Deuteronomy 22 verse 22 it says the same thing there in Revel in Revelation chapter 22 verses 14 and 15 it says blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates of the city but outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves to practice a lie Those are the people who are not included into the kingdom of God. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 and 32, it says, Furthermore, it has been said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. The assumption is that divorced people will will remarry here. If divorce was not for sexual immorality, any remarriage in that case is adultery. God says, do not divorce. Now this is where Pastor Michael is better equipped in answering this for you. But as far as I know, the only special circumstance for divorce is if the one spouse has cheated on the other sexually immorality immoral there what does it say about abusing spouses I don't know what to tell you but I can point you to that office the other side of that door there and you can ask our pastor there the adulterer steals from his neighbor that which is more than his goods and his estate 
He steals away his wife from him who is flesh of his flesh. Adultery debases a person. I've known people who thought they can get away with it and they were happy with what they were doing and cheating on their own spouses and boasting and bragging about these things. But God will judge them. Adultery destroys a reputation. Sin impairs the mind. Adultery without repentance damns the soul also. Well, what can we do about these things? How can you not fall into these things? Of course, you stay away from whatever situation would lead you to these things. Go to the Song of Solomons. And this is one book that I hardly hear of anybody turning to anymore. But it is a beautiful book. And if you have the chance to read it, especially just for the poetic aspect of it, it is very beautiful. It's about a relationship between King Solomon and his, um, and his wife here. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 16. It's beautiful what, this, what the Shulamite says here. Her name is Abishag. And she says, My beloved is mine, and I am his. He feeds his flock among the lilies. Isn't that beautiful so far? My beloved is mine, and I am his. We belong to each other. Almost sounds like an oldie song, doesn't it? Go over to chapter 4, and we will read verses 9 through 11. It says, You have ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. You have ravished my heart with one look of your eyes, with one link of your necklace. How fair is your love, my sister, my spouse. How much better than wine is your love, and the scent of your perfumes than all spices. Your lips, O oh my spouse, drip as the honeycomb. Honey and milk are under your tongue, and the fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. Over to chapter 5, verse 16. It says, His mouth is most sweet. Yes, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. I am glad to say that my wife is my best friend. She's my wife first, and then my best friend, and the mother of my children, and my lover, and so on. But how do I introduce her? This is my wife. I remember, I don't think I ever told her the story. But the day that we woke up on the cruise ship on our, on our, after our wedding night, I woke up and um, I could see the sun was still coming through the portal. And I thought, oh yeah, I just got married last night. And I look up and I see this gold shiny ring and I'm looking at this like this. like, wow, that is so cool. And I was so honored that she was my wife. As a matter of fact, I think when I introduced her, I was happy to say this is my wife. Chapter 6, verse 3 says, I think I already read that, didn't I? It says, I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He feeds his flock among the lilies. Chapter 7, verse 10, it says, I am my beloved's, and his desire is towards me. There is nothing else that should take our eyes off our spouses, including the discrepancies that might arise later. Because um, 
I know I've held up the mirror for myself thinking, oh, how could she like me? <laughs> In Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17, Paul says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. I know that every day I wake up, I say my prayers, I say, Lord, use me at work today. And unfortunately, I fall in with their follies and laugh at their jokes. And I try not to walk in the flesh and try to walk in the spirit as much as I can, but I still fail every day. What does the Bible say concerning our roles? Go to Ephesians chapter 5, back in the New Testament. You have 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, and then Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 22. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Verse 24 says, Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now he's talking to the husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Basically, he's saying here, sacrifice yourself for your spouse. Verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Man, we're supposed to be our spiritual leaders of the household here. Verse 27 says that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." Verse 32, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. It's a a sacrifice. It's not self-serving. We are supposed to lay down our lives for our our spouses. Deny ourselves, if you will. And I'm sure you've heard a lot of these as a pastor talks at a wedding ceremony. You're no longer your own. It's not about you anymore. It's about your spouse. Take care of each other. Excuse me. If we loved our spouses as we love ourselves, I think there'd be a lot less arguments situations or excuses to go looking elsewhere for fulfillment for needs and of course if God is in the center of our relationships you go through life together 
And as I was driving home today, I was looking in the rearview mirror and I had the sunroof open and the sun was coming down pretty bright. And I thought, oh, look at this. I got gray hair. This is cool. When I met my wife, I didn't have any gray hair. We're getting old together. And I thought that was great. <laughs> Denying ourselves. Have God in the middle of things. And I know that we've gone through some heavy stuff together. And I say this together, not individually, but together. Because God is in our lives. He saw us out together also. When God was in the center of things, our faith was so great. And that is the answer, really, in preventing adultery. I'm committed to my wife, and she trusts me and she, that um, I won't do anything stupid or desire anything else because um, I'm accountable to God also. But it goes beyond that because I gave my life, my heart, to my wife and in the same way we do that also with our spouses it's not about us we honor God with our bodies but it begins in the mind also amen one last thing here I think you guys uh, I'm going to read you this article here it's from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel this is dated back in 1999 it says having an affair Alibi agency wants to make it easier for you. So you suspect your spouse may be having an affair. These days you can employ a world of high-tech devices to help you catch an errant husband or a wife with zoom cameras, auto-tracking apparatus, and so on. But what about the ones doing the misbehaving? Where can this often discounted segment of the population seek much-needed support? At the alibi agency. As the name implies, the popular British agency will provide credible cover stories for almost every adulterous moment. The fee, a mere $25 to $75 in U.S. currency, depending on the tailor-made fib. So you want to meet a lover for the weekend, but you don't want your mate to know? You could hire the alibi agency to mail you a phony invitation to a seminar or sporting event, providing you with a legitimate excuse for going away. The deceptions don't stop there. The agency will make purchases on your behalf so that the items can't be traced back to you via one of those pesky receipts. It will even lend you a noiseless pager so that you can be discreetly contacted about the little woman or man knowing, without the little man or woman knowing. To be sure, not everyone agrees with this blatant assault on marital fidelity. Encouraging one to cheat on one spouse, no matter how sophisticated the deception or noble the goal, is not going to get you past society's moral gatekeepers. Far from, being, far, from, far from feeling remorse about making money out of helping spouses cover their deceits, however, the brains behind this business say they are proud to be helping keep couples together. We're actually trying to preserve the family, to protect loved ones from the stress that comes from suspecting your spouse is cheating, says Ronnie Brock, who founded the company. Even the agency's advertisement on the internet reads, our aim is total peace of mind for you and your family. What do you guys think? <laughs> you know, people can come up with any kind of justification I'm still speechless. 
Now, what else does adultery do? Well, we, th- this article came out March 30th, just recently. It says, husband kills wife's lover, but the wife is charged. The premise of the story is that this man came home early, and he found his wife in the pickup truck of this cab with this other man. Soon, you know, he walked up to the truck. He says, hey, what's going on in there? Then she cried rape where this man, they're from Texas, Arlington there, of course, what's he going to have on his sidearm? He brings out his gun, he shoots the guy, kills him dead. Well, the jury found her guilty because she falsified a police report and cried rape, and the man was trying to protect his wife where he thought she was being assaulted. So now the woman is doing time. To me, that's justified. That's great. Do we stray? One thing I wanted to also mention, that the seventh commandment here, it's, it coincides with the first two. God says, I am, your, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. And the second one is, you shall have no other idols. You shall not make yourself any idols or images and bow down to them. We can also apply this in the marriage relationship. We have one spouse, you shall have no others or anything besides them. And you shall not make anything or anyone else the object of your devotion. That's just something I thought. I, just, I, just, I was just intrigued by that. That would be like the first two commandments for our spouse. One thing we should do too is that we live by example, amen. And parents, how do your children see you acting towards your spouse? And those who are um, old enough to have grandchildren, how do your grandchildren or nieces or nephews see you acting towards your spouse? Do we encourage our children, do we encourage others to respect the opposite sex? Men, do we train up our boys to respect young ladies, not to run after those who freely give? And ladies, do we teach our young ladies not to settle for anything, to settle for those who love God and trust in Him that would treat them right? And this is how we can, in our society, try to prevent this adultery issue. It's pretty prevalent nowadays, unfortunately. But it's one of those uh, rules that God had included. Apparently there was a problem back in the day and still holds true today. Amen? Well, Lord, thank you so much for tonight. I pray, Father, that um, the idea was brought across concerning not committing adultery, concerning being faithful to our partners, Lord, to our spouses, concerning being faithful to you spiritually as well. Lord, we ask, Lord, that we be drawn closer to you every day and help us, Lord, never to stray from you but to run towards you through whatever brink of complications. May we bless you and praise you, Lord, in the blessings and all joy, even when we're feeling down, Father. May we always seek you and seek each other out also, Lord, for prayer, for intercession. We thank you, Lord, for having siblings around that love us also and consider us and always think about us. I thank you, Lord, for our pastor. I pray, Lord, as... as um, Barrett had said earlier that you would bless him as he takes a sabbatical time and may he just be refreshed, Lord, until he comes back and teaches 
again, Father. And Wednesday nights, thank you again, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.